0: If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and find Philippians chapter 2. You might have expected me to say 1 Corinthians based on what's in the bulletin. Let me explain. So we're moving through 1 Corinthians, and I set my course to preach through books, and that way I don't steer away from difficult passages or uncomfortable passages. That way uh, we get the whole counsel of God's Word, and often that steers me into really challenging parts of the Bible. Most of the Bible is, is really pretty plain the more you, you get to understand Scripture, but there are parts that are like hard knots that are just very difficult to untangle. And the passage that I had landed on for this Sunday was one of those hard knot passages in 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 11, beginning at verse 2, if you want to look at it and see what I mean. So I worked really hard on it. Um, I've got five commentaries that are sort of my go-to commentaries. These are books that explain what the Bible means and help you understand it. I've got three in particular. Each one's about that thick. It's so dense and deep and thorough. Those three did not agree on the interpretation of that passage. And so I, I kept working at it, and by Friday I realized I am not... I don't believe going to feel confident enough in my understanding of this passage to proclaim it to you people. Uh, I just just couldn't get there. And I think it's the first time in my whole time with you, these ten years, that because I just don't feel like I understand the passage, I, I can't preach it to you. I even preached Romans chapter 9. If you remember Romans chapter 9, where it talks about predestination, uh, that was hard, but I felt like the Lord helped us understand it. But I just wasn't ready. I could have preached it, but it was going to end up being an academic lecture because I was going to have to lay out all the clues and evidence for different possible interpretations of it. And as a family worship service, I didn't want to subject the children to a long academic presentation. So my plan right now is to put in writing what I have found about the passage and make that available to you. And I'm not sure I'm going to preach on it at this time, but we'll see if the Lord changes my course from that. So I decided instead of 1 Corinthians 11 to to preach from where I'm at in my personal quiet times, which happens to be in Philippians chapter 2. It sounds like the sermon, God has harmonized it perfectly with what the Lord's been teaching us individually, and even in Sunday school, it sounds like the adult Sunday school class talked about something very much in line uh, with all the Sunday school classes with what this passage is about. I've preached this passage twice before. The the full passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, but this time I'm just going to focus on verse 1. I've never really focused on verse 1 with you in a sermon uh, for an entire sermon, so that's what we're going to do. The big idea of it is remembering what we have, a lot like what Meredith was sharing before we sang in Christ alone. Remembering what we have. I, I think we all naturally have a tendency to dwell on the things we don't have, the things we wish were better are different. In fact, if you'll think about this last week, do you think you've thought more about what you do have or about what you don't have? I'm just curious. I think for me, probably I've dwelled more on what I don't have, and that's natural. I don't feel condemnation about that, but when we do dwell on what we don't have, we end up feeling down and sad and uh, lonely and weak And what we have today is this warm reminder from God through the Apostle Paul of what we do have. And in Christ, we have quite a lot. And remember, before we read the verses, Paul wasn't writing this from some great big mansion. And he wasn't writing this from a beautiful beach home. He wasn't even writing this from a comfortable suburban house. Paul was writing this from prison. And here's what he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Now, we're going to focus on the first verse, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, do you think Paul is really uncertain if these things are true for the Christian? Do you think he's saying, well, maybe, maybe you have encouragement in Christ, maybe not, but if you do, then I want you to complete my joy by being united together. No, this is a, a way of writing and speaking that highlights the fact that these things certainly are true. It could be translated because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort in Christ. From love, because there is participation in the spirit, because there is affection and sympathy, I want you to complete my joy by being made one. So the the rest of the passage is Paul encouraging them to be Christ like and love one another. This is the foundation for why do it and what gives you the strength to do it. And we're just going to look at, at these four things. These are things that we have as Christians. These are things you can count on being yours. In Christ. The first one, there is encouragement in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, occurs a ton in the Bible. And it's the idea of our union with Christ. It's the idea that we are united to Jesus in a special way. We are in Christ so that His mind is our mind, His righteousness is our righteousness. His payment for sin is our payment for sin. And the love the Father gives to the Son is ours. In Christ, there is encouragement. Now, I think sometimes we get discouraged when we think in wrong categories. We think about our life and we compare our lives to other people's lives. Has anybody ever compared your life to other people's lives in the first place? Or am I the only one who has done that? I bet even you children have compared your life to other people's lives. Have you? Have you? Yes, that is an enthusiastic yes from the kids. I remember when I was in elementary school, I had a lot going for me. I came to Christ at a pretty young age. I was eight years old when I became a Christian. And you know, I didn't understand everything about it, but I knew that my life was to be about Jesus. And I had a relationship with God, as childlike as it was. That, that's, I had that. And I had you know, good parents that cared about me and loved me. I had a good home life. But I remember going over to a friend's house. I only went over to his house a couple of times. This didn't end up being a real close friend of mine. But man, he had stuff that I did not have. He had a house that was two stories. In my mind, any house above one story is a mansion. His house was two stories. His house had a laundry chute that ran from the second story through the first story, down to the basement laundry room that we could shimmy up and down like spies. My house did not have that. He had a pool. My house certainly did not have a pool. He had a full basketball court outside, in my mind. I I remember it now. It was really just a, a rectangle of concrete, but it did have two goals, even if it was only about 10 feet apart from one another. Two basketball goals. I only have one basketball goal at my house, and it wasn't even paved where you dribbled. And so I would compare myself to what he had, and I would get really discouraged. I would feel like, well, yeah, I have, you know, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I have a relationship with God. I know God loves me. Like like Mitchell's saying, I know Jesus loves me. Fine. But I don't have two basketball goals. I don't have a laundry chute that I can drop from the second floor down to the basement through into a pile of dirty clothes for a padded landing. Yeah, God has given me and blessed me a family with parents that love me, fine, but I don't have a pool. And because I was thinking in that category, I was discouraged and I was just completely ignoring this whole giant category of the fact that God loves me unconditionally through Jesus and He's blessed me with good parents that care about me and have clothes on my back and everything I need, yet I was discouraged. Today's just a simple reminder. There is encouragement in Christ for you. Now, you might be thinking, well, you don't know how bad my situation is. and That may be true. I I haven't walked exactly in your shoes. But I know that everybody does have struggles. Every Christian does in this fallen world. Paul did. He was in prison as he was writing this. Now imagine for a minute, whatever your, your struggle is right now, the, the thing in your life that causes you to be discouraged, something you don't have, something you wish were different, something like that. So have that in one hand, and then have in this hand everything that is true for you in Christ. Forgiven. Clean slate with God. God's, God's love no matter what. Now imagine you swapped them, and you got all this stuff resolved, Just like that. Everything that you wish you had, you had. That, That issue you wish was solved, was solved, but you didn't have this anymore. You didn't have everything that was yours in Christ. Now, how empty would all that seem now? How paltry, how much you would trade that in an instant to get this back? You have this. And even when these things get solved, and this may be depressing, but it should be encouraging, even when that's solved... It's just it's front in line on a conveyor belt of other disappointments. <laughs> so so once that gets resolved there's there's another one right behind it because we live in a world that's just wrecked by sin and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. And God actually uses those things to push us toward this the eternal things. There is encouragement in Christ. In Christ you are forgiven, in Christ you have eternal purpose and calling. In Christ, you have God's full love. He loves you as if you were Jesus. That you've been adopted in, in Christ. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfection. Jesus' righteousness. And he loves you completely and utterly and forever. And you'll never lose that. You have that. So be encouraged. You are in Christ. And I want to encourage you to go back to this well all the time. All the time in this discouraging world, go back to this well because it's, it's bottomless. It, it never runs out of water for you. Fill your mind with what is true of you in Christ and be encouraged. Second thing he mentions, there's encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love. There's comfort from love. So God is love. God's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just a perfectly encapsulated relationship of love Within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they love one another, glorify one another, submit to one another in God himself. God is one, yet three, and we can't even begin to understand that. He is so glorious. But he is love. Through Jesus Christ, God has opened up this, this portal for that love to just pour, gush down upon us. In fact, he scooped us up and brought us into that relationship of love, the, the, the relationship the Son has enjoyed with the Father from all eternity, we have been welcomed into to enjoy as sons as well. So we daily are just under a deluge of God's love constantly lavished upon us. You are loved. Whatever you have going on in your life, whatever sins you may have committed this morning, if you're in Christ as a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, Even if you kicked a puppy this morning on your way to the car out of frustration because you're running late again and you stepped in a mud pole or something and you feel guilty, you need to know there's no condemnation in Christ for you. It's love and mercy and grace just constantly raining down on us from God through Jesus Christ. You are loved. You are loved. You may have failures in your life, you may have weaknesses that you wish you didn't have, but you are definitely loved, I can tell you that with 100% certainty. Now, so drenched and filled with God's love, we are brought together in these groups called churches where we are intertwined together and told, now love each other like that. This love that I'm pouring into you now, you are to pour out into the people around you, especially in your church family. And they'll know you're different by the way you love each other. And this is your life now as Christians. A church is basically a love splash pad. Have you been to a splash pad before? Splash pads? Are you seen kids in splash pads? You're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, so it's kind of like a pool-type area, but there's structures to, to play on and stuff. And there might be some water about up to here. And the kids and parents can play, splash around in there. And there's all these um, structures around with nozzles just squirting water in all different directions. Some of them the kids can manipulate and move around, and it's just a ton of fun. There's water flying everywhere. It's great during the summer. That's basically what the church is, except replace the water with God's love. We are all different, different gifts, different personalities coming from different situations, but we're all being fed by this main pipeline— of unconditional, merciful, gracious love, and it's just to be spurting out of us all the time into each other's lives. And so our whole life as a church is to be lived together in this love splash pad where God's love is just pouring into us, through us, through each other, into each other's lives constantly. And that's that's really what the church is meant to look like and be. And there's comfort here. There is comfort in this enjoyment of God's love together that can be found nowhere else. Not even in our biological families do we enjoy the kind of love that we get to splash around in together as a church family. There's comfort there, and you say, well, you don't know how uncomfortable my circumstances are. That may be true, but once again... You've got this love from God through Jesus Christ in this hand, and then you've got those things that are making you uncomfortable in your life in this hand. And we all have those because we're in this fallen world. Now imagine that those were switched, and all those things that made you uncomfortable have been resolved, and now you live the most comfortable human life in this world you can possibly imagine. Your home is comfortable. Your family life is comfortable. You're comfortable with the way you look. You're comfortable with your income. You're comfortable with the food you're able to afford, the vacations you're able to go on. Everything is comfortable. You're, you feel good physically. You're comfortable, but you don't have God's love through Jesus Christ. How empty that would be, and how sad, and how quickly you would exchange them. I'll give all that up now if I could just get back into the splash pad. We, we take it for granted, especially if we've grown up with this love that God gives us through Jesus Christ. But there's comfort here, and once again, God uses all this discomfort to drive us toward this comfort with a capital C. You are loved by God, and you are loved by your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you really are. We don't do it perfectly. As a splash pad, we malfunction all the time, we have issues. Every church does, but you are loved certainly by God, and you are loved by your brothers and sisters in Christ. I guarantee it. Maybe it doesn't always feel that way. Maybe we don't always live in light of the unity that we have in Christ and the love that we share. But it is ours, and I want to encourage you, love one another lavishly. You cannot love the people in your life too much. That is an impossibility. There's no cap on it. You know, you, you can eat too many sweets. You can have too many cinnamon rolls. You can watch too much TV. You can sleep too much. You can buy too much stuff, but you cannot love people too much. That, that is something that is, you can just do as much as you want. Go crazy. You have infinite resources of love in God the Father through Jesus Christ, so be lavish with it. You're never going to run out of. Love one another lavishly. Enjoy the love we share together as Christians. Open up to people. I guarantee you, if you open up to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will find love. You'll find patience and kindness. Some of you are carrying things around. You're encapsulated in your own little secret bubble. And so you're cut off from the love that is yours in Christ through this church family. And if that's the case for you, and you know it, I want you to think about it. Maybe jot down the name of somebody you trust within the church family that you can say, you know, I've been carrying this burden around forever. I'm so worried about this family member, and I think about it all the time. And I just haven't told anybody, would you? I just wanted to share it with you. I guarantee if they're a Christian, if they're your brother and sister, they are going to just start pouring love into your life. Seek each other out in these relationships. We have so much of God's love to enjoy together. And there's comfort there. So there is encouragement in Christ. There's comfort from love. Third, there is participation in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now we know because we've been studying our Bibles that this word participation is the same word translated fellowship. It means we have close personal connection and involvement and in sharing with the Holy Spirit together. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place on the cross and make a way for us to be reconciled to him. And then the Son asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to live inside us and enable us to live the Christian life. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, the divine power of God within you. How often do we forget that? How often do we live as if that's not true? If the church were a smartphone, the Holy Spirit would be the network that makes all the apps meaningful and work. And we have Him. We are enabled to receive and live in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit. We're able to receive God's love and transmit God's love because we have the Holy Spirit in us. It may not always feel true, but let me ask you this, not a guilt-trippy question, but just a helpful one, I think. Have you, have you prayed for the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Have you asked to be filled with the Spirit? Have you asked for God to empower you unto this thing that's in front of you through the Holy Spirit, rather than relying on your own willpower, your own wisdom, or your own strength? Have you said, God, I am weak and empty, and I but I believe I have your spirit within me. Will you please give me wisdom for this? Give me understanding for this. Give me strength for this, energy for this. I heard somebody recently use the analogy of a sailboat, and it makes so much sense. You can sit in a sailboat and wish you were going somewhere all day long and never go anywhere, even if the wind is howling. But you're not going to go until you raise the sails. And that's basically what prayer does in terms of our participation in the Holy Spirit. It raises the sails so that he has something to grab hold of and push us forward. We have participation, fellowship together with the Holy Spirit. You know, I know that if you're like me, often you feel very weak. Has anybody felt weak this week? Felt weak this week? I certainly have, especially when I realized I wasn't going to be able to preach the sermon that I was working on all week long. You see, this is the beautiful thing about Christianity. Our discouragements become the greatest conduit to, the, to finding encouragement in Christ. Our discomfort becomes the greatest conduit for finding true comfort in the love of God through Jesus Christ. And our weaknesses become the greatest opportunities to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, then I'm going to the Lord in prayer and saying, please help me with this. Often we struggle so hard with something that we just can't get beyond and we feel our weakness and we stop there and we just give up or we just seek distraction or we find ways to cope instead of taking that next step from our weakness into prayer for the Holy Spirit's power. We have participation in the Holy Spirit together. There's encouragement in Christ, there's comfort from love, There is participation in the Spirit. And lastly, there is affection and sympathy. Affection and sympathy. These two Greek words are really, really similar. They almost mean exactly the same thing. It's the idea of deep feeling for others, feeling deeply for other people. Both words conjure up kind of gross imagery of of the the bowels and the guts, like deep within you, you feel for other people. That's what these words, affection and sympathy, bring to mind. Now, because we are encouraged in Christ and comforted from God's love and participating in the Holy Spirit, we are free to feel deeply not just about ourselves but about other people. I don't know if you've ever experienced this sort of mini-awakening where maybe you're in your own head, you've got your own issues going on, that you're wrestling with. And then you come into, you encounter somebody whose situation is so far worse than yours and more urgent that you are pulled into helping them somehow. And isn't it amazing how you really do come alive in those moments? And it's like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, there's another person. You can take that backpack full of your weights off and you can go and serve and help them. That's sort of what all this brings about in us, this encouragement, this comfort, this participation. It frees us from our own baggage to be able to feel deeply for someone else other than ourselves. Most humans go through life feeling really deeply only for themselves. It's only through Christ that we truly are enabled to feel deeply for other people like this, the way this passage describes. And you say, well, I'm the one who needs affection and sympathy. You're right. You do need it. Everybody in this room needs it. Every single person in this room needs this kind of affection and sympathy, you included. And that's legitimate. You do. What Paul's saying is here, you have it. You have it from God through Jesus Christ, and you have it within your church family. You have it. And now you don't have to be craving it and grabbing for it. You can be offering it to others. You have it. So here's how we'll close I want you to close thinking about your fellow church members here. Just We'll limit it right now to our people, this local gathering. Just be bringing them to mind. We're about to pray together. Bring to mind. Maybe it's the people sitting near you, on your pew, around you. Maybe it's the people that you saw during the breakfast time or Sunday school or the prayer meeting. Maybe it's people that you're noticing aren't here right now. But we're going to end, and we're not going to be thinking about ourselves. Okay? So for, for this, these few moments, you're not allowed to think about yourself. Okay? Only think about the, your other people. Whoever the Lord brings to mind, maybe one person, maybe two, three people. Think about them for a minute. In fact, go ahead, and we'll do the close your eyes and bow your head thing to help us concentrate before we pray. Okay, so your, your eyes are closed, and your head is bowed, and you're not going to sleep. And you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about these other people that the Lord is bringing to mind. Now just bring their faces up on the screen of your mind and think about them. What are they going through right now that you're aware of? What might they be feeling right now based on what you know? What might be some needs in their lives? What might be some desires in their life? Because in Jesus Christ, you are free to think this way about others. Our natural instinct is to think this way only about ourselves. But as Paul goes on in this passage, and this is how we'll end, we're free to think the way Jesus Jesus thinks. He writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, which we know there is, if there's comfort from love, which we know there is, any participation in the Spirit, which there is, any affection and sympathy, which there is, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So just right now, these people that have come to mind, what would it be like to genuinely count them as more significant than yourself? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What would it look like for you to look not just to your interests this week, but also to the interests of these people? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's our DNA now as Christians. He did that for us. We do that for others. Father, thank you For your word this morning, thank you for these people. Thank you for gathering us together into a church where we get to receive your love through Jesus and transmit it to one another. Lord, let us be encouraged this week. Let us be comforted this week. Let us participate in the Spirit together this week. Let us enjoy all that is ours through Christ. When I pray against discouragement. I pray against despair. Lord, let us be filled with peace and joy regardless of our circumstances because we're in Christ together. It's in his name we pray. Amen.